and welcome to Minute 21 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Lil, Ed- uh, is Lil Eddie O'Hare. Sorry about that. Yeah, Formerly you just call- <laughs> Little, you just Little. call me Ed, that's fine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> joining me today is Ed. <laughs> formerly of the DC TV Report and Wicked Theory of Podcast. Welcome to the show, Ed, little Ed. Happy to be here. How's it going? It's going great, going great. I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, finding out what happens in the rest of this movie. Who knows? You know, we've we've had some interesting episodes till now. You know, last week we had we had a guest that had never seen the movie and only saw those five episodes. So, you know, we're, we're, we're back to the point. I hope that you've seen this movie. Have you seen this movie? Yes, I have seen this movie. Okay. okay. You've, you've seen it at least once. So, so we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, what's I, I, what's I, your I, history? I can tell you it's, it's a very special movie for me because uh, it's obviously the best movie that came out the year I was born, 1988. So you're saying you didn't see it in the theater in 1988. No. You might have seen it. Your parents didn't take you in 1988 to see it? It's possible. No, 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 no. My mother, no. <laughs> Wait, when, what, what month is your birthday? Uh, January. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, me too. Yeah. So you, you were at least six months old then when it came out, because it came out, it yeah. debuted July 15th. So, you know, you, mm-hmm. you could have made it, in, you know, six months, possible. You know, I've, yeah, I've been no. to movies, I've been to movies where people bring bring babies, you know, which which can be a very interesting experience. Let's put it that way. Sometimes, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, well, I mean, I've had that. I've actually been in situations where I was with a group of guys, and we had to explain to a mom that her her four year old should not be watching Deadpool. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that would that's a good. I, I, I that's a good advice. Did she did she get up and walk out? Uh, no, no. No, yeah. <laughs> she's like, screw that. You guys don't know what you're talking about. I want to see Deadpool. Yeah. I don't care. My kid won't understand everything's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. And uh, I actually was at a screening of uh, Sin City, uh, where a parent was screaming at her child as she was dragging him out of the theater. Oh, okay. wow. what? Why would you? Re- but it's based on a comic book. <laughs> uh, yeah, people need to do a little bit of research before they see movies. Yep. Or sorry, let me rephrase that. People need to do a little bit of research before they take their kids to see movies. You know, yeah. we all we all watch movies that we don't do research on beforehand. But you know, if you're an adult, it's not yeah, that big yeah. of a deal. You know. You know, and and you know, sometimes those ratings are there for a reason. Uh, yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that R rating means something. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, mm-hmm. as 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 we know, planes and automobiles, you know, it's got an R rating just for for. For one minute of the of the movie, that's it. You know, so. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this movie, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit this week. Part of the, I mean, obviously, these movies are because of the violence, but but we'll we'll, we'll talk about something else that that appears later on this week that uh, helped make this movie an R-rated movie. Yes, uh, we'll, yes, we'll get there. Yes. We'll get there. I think we get there on Thursday, Friday, something like that. So so you know, teaser for people to come back if they really want to, you know, hear what what Ed and I have to say about that. So what's what's your history of this, this movie? When when do you do you remember when the first time you saw it was? Since it wasn't when you were still in diapers. <laughs> um, I was probably about nine or ten. 
uh, staying over uh, my uh, cousin Pete's house where we were born a month apart. Um, so uh, uh, I think I think it was it was somewhere in there we saw uh, Die Hard, Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, and uh, I can't remember which one which one I saw first, but um, just at that point falling in love with the series and John McClane. Um, also my, uh, I have, I have an uncle, uh, who's, uh, now, now retired NYPD detective. Um, but he joined the force in 1990, uh, and, uh, also coming from, uh, an Irish Catholic family in New York city, uh, <laughs> that a lot of that, I recognize a lot of that same sensibility. And, uh, my uncle actually bears a vague resemblance to the way Bruce Willis looks in this movie. Uh, he still has all of his hair today. Um, oh, wow. Okay. But, uh, Is he a fan of the movie also? Yes. 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 Uh, and it, it was funny. It wasn't until, like, preparing for this podcast that I actually re- realized that my uncle um, does does have a lot of the same kind of uh, swagger and mannerisms that oh, wow. play does. Yeah. Wow. So, so in other words, you're, you are... Uh, John McClane's nephew. That's what you're saying. Sort of. <laughs> you, should just, you should call your, your uncle Uncle John, and that's it. You know. <laughs> yeah, I'll and, take it. Yeah. Well, the question is whether will he, whether he will. Yes, that's the question. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> so minute twenty-one begins with Eddie coming around the desk and ends with Tony trying to find the right group of wires. Mm, All right. Yes. So. On Friday, we ended with, uh, you know, them uh, killing the uh, – well, actually, it was on Thursday that they killed the uh, John Larroquette uh, uh, doppelganger <laughs> who was sitting at the desk. I, I'm always going to – I love keep I – love, I love referring to him that way, and I'm going to keep referring to the actor that way because every time I've seen this movie, I always think that's John Larroquette, even though I know it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, I, I, I will say that character um... – didn't deserve to die, but he deserved a slap in the face for <laughs> for the way he treated John downstairs, where he makes him go through the the, uh, the directory to find to find the, Holly and, he, and to, to find, find the Holly. place to find the place where everybody in the, there's yeah. the only people in the in the place. No, come yeah, on, yeah, where, where everyone <laughs> is on the same floor. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a little bit of a problem, and uh, I, I I think you're right. I think that Rick DeSetti deserved to get shot, you know, shot right between the eyes, for, or at least the character that Rick DeSetti uh, played. I'm sorry, yeah. didn't mean to offend you, Rick. You know, if you're, hopefully you're listening, but uh, if not, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, come you know, on, bro. maybe, maybe, it. maybe Matt Tiernan told you to play it that way. It's possible. I don't know, but we know that's in the script. <laughs> So that yeah. that is the way that, that things are supposed to play out. So mm-hmm. basically, that's what happened. Then Theo went to go close down all the elevators in you know in the back room in the control room, and then you know he throws something very strange to to Carl, who passes it off to Hans, and then this minute begins with Eddie coming around the, the desk in order to start putting on the uniform of Rick Sassetti. So I, I guess it's a good thing they shot him in the head. Because you know they didn't get any blood. Somehow they got no blood on on the jacket, so it's possible to wear it. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, um, my uh, uh, grandparents, uh, when I was growing up, lived in a, a townhouse, but there was a high rise that was part of their complex. I used to go there sometimes to to, to use the gym or the swimming pool, and the doorman there had almost the exact same 
uniform was a light gray uh, suit and vest. Maybe they worked for the uh, Nakatomi business, Nakatomi Corporation. Yeah, yeah. Somehow the Nakatomi might have owned the Ocean View Apartments in Staten Island. I it's possible. That, Why not? That worked. Why not? <laughs> Come on. We know that Nakatomi is a very wealthy company. They they have more <laughs> than just the Nakatomi building. You know, they they have they they definitely have offices in Japan, and we can infer possibly that they have offices in New York because the assumption that, that, that I've made, whether it's correct or not, we'll never know, is that Holly was working for Nakatomi in New York and they gave her the op- the opportunity because she's a very high-level position here. So she had to be working in some high-level position beforehand in order to get the, this type of job. So it's possible that it was just a promotion within Nakatomi and that they moved her over or – you know, she was working somewhere else. She wasn't. She wasn't working as a secretary or you know as a teacher or something like that. She she had some very high profile business job before she moved over to to Nakatomi in in LA. You know yeah. that 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 we can tell for sure. The question is what type mm-hmm. of job. Who knows whether it was Nakatomi or not? We'll also never know. But I mean, one of the things that I really like about the way this whole movie is set up. First of all, you see how organized the bad guys are. I mean, Eddie already is wearing the shirt of one of the, of what a guard would wear. He's got the vest. All he needed was the jacket. You know, the jacket. Yeah. I guess I guess he needed the jacket because it has the the emblem of Nakatomi. You know, which mm-hmm. looks like a samurai type of uh, emblem or something like that. That that would be the only. I, you'd think that they would have been even more organized and been fi- found a way to get a Nakatomi jacket. But okay, and it's a good thing that that both Eddie and uh, Rick Sassetti are the same size. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, you know, they're like, okay, we, we need to get one of the guys, one of the henchmen mm-hmm. and he needs to be the same size as the, uh, you know, as the guard so that we can make sure that, that if someone comes and looks, you know, if, uh, if Al Powell happens to show up later, you know, he's not going to get suspicious that the jacket doesn't fit. Yeah. yeah. That, and that, that may have been why exactly why, why he's the guy that ends up there. And, uh, and then he's, he's not upstairs at the detonators right. with everybody else. Exactly. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, they need mm-hmm. someone at the, at the desk yeah. to make sure to make it seem as if everything is just going, you know, going, going normal. You know, everyone's partying yeah. on Christmas Eve at, I mean, sunset was at four fifty, So this is mm-hmm. maybe six o'clock, you know, we're, yeah. we're not talking about it being very late. You know, it's mm. one of the things that I, I've noticed a, a little bit of a pattern between the three movies that I've done so far in The Great Escape, Plain Shins, All Mobiles in Here, is that it always seems much later than it really is. You know, they, you know, things look darker. You know, Plain Shins, All Mobiles, yeah. there were scenes that look like take place at three o'clock in the morning and they don't. They take place at eight, you know, <laughs> when they're stuck on the highway or stuff like that. But whatever. So at this point, uh, you know, Hans walks over to the to the door of the lobby. And then he looks out in a very intense way, as only, you know, Hans Gruber can do. Which, yes. Uh, you know, he, he's great at that. And then he takes the card that he has in his hand and places it on the, 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 the like the lock panel and then swipes it in order to engage the alarm. And he, he does it in a very swift and suave way. You know, the first he's looking to make sure there's nothing going on. Yeah, yeah, and that's just enough to get that perfect profile shot, so you really get a sense of who he is. That this is this is the guy who's in charge. Yes, uh, yes. Alan Rickman <laughs> knew what he was doing. This is again, this was his first movie that 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 he starred in because he was only in the theater beforehand, but he he got it right here. 
No question about it. Yeah. He gets the he gets the 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 gaze <laughs> of the whole thing, which is why a lot of people say, myself included, that he's one of the best villains in all of film. You know, there are very yeah. few villains that that you could say are are better than him. You know, because he's he's mm-hmm. a likable villain. You know, he's yes. not he's not a villain that you look at and say, oh, I hate that guy. He's like, this is a guy I would mm-hmm. love to to meet. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he's sadistic and murderous and all those things, you know, but whatever. So, I mean, first of all, it's very strange. How does the alarm work here? Like, what would you think? They're, they're, they're locking the door. Okay. The Again, it's six o'clock at night. There's a party going on in the building. You'd think that the, the guard would, I mean, the doors are open. When Theo and Carl showed up last week, they didn't need to wait for the guard to come open up the door for them. When John showed up two weeks ago, he didn't need to wait for the guard to show up for him. So why, I mean, I understand from the villainous perspective why they want to keep it locked. But on the other hand, they want to keep things looking normal. So why would they lock it? Well, I mean, it, it may just be, it may just be a sense that, uh, I mean, I, th- I think that that's exactly it. They don't want anybody coming in. Um, you know, and they'll have someone at the door so that, you know, if, you know, they can unlock it just to address somebody, uh, you know, if a, if a cop comes knocking at the door, they could just open it to, to, to do it, but they don't want someone just wandering in, uh, aimlessly, you know, or, or if someone's not paying attention that they could, that they could get into the building, they want to control exactly who and when people enter the building. Right. No, I agree with you on that, but, but I'm looking yeah. at it from the perspective that if they want to be as inconspicuous as possible, so at six o'clock at night, locking the door is going to be a little more suspicious. I mean, it's not two o'clock in the morning when, okay, there's nobody expected to come in and therefore it's the guard's job to, to keep everything locked. Well, I think they're also, they're, fig- they're figuring, you know, uh, I mean, it's not like that alarm is going straight to the police. No one else is going to know that they've engaged the alarm except them. Right. You know. Okay. Mm-hmm. True also. And then he, mm-hmm. he takes the card and throws it to Eddie. Nice, uh, nice throw here. You know, makes it right to Eddie. You know, there's no yes. fumbling along the way. You know, nice mm-hmm. arc in the in the throw, and then Eddie takes it and puts it in the uh, the inner left hand pocket of his jacket. Mm-hmm. Right, and then uh, you know we see, we see that that right behind uh, right behind Eddie at this point, we, we see that Theo is still there. You know, he's he's. He's playing around with like a bag that's right behind there, which yeah, and you, and you see that he's immediately uh, the the wisecracking shenanigans and everything are are gone, and now that he's with with Hans, uh, he's all business. Yes, you know, and and uh, he's he's you know moving straight forward. All right, he's on assignment now. He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't want to look like he's jerking around in front of the boss. Correct, exactly, especially <laughs> since you know. Every, every they apparently all know who Hans is. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you don't you don't mess with with Hans. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. But what I like is is that okay, Eddie brought the bag that Theo is going into. You know, like again, it's all planned out. The mm-hmm. you know Eddie only brings that bag. I mean, I'm assuming he has his stuff in there too because I think the bag does the bag stay there or or Theo takes the bag with him. No, no, he, put, he puts it over his shoulder. He puts it over his shoulder, so he takes it. So so whatever. Yeah. You know, Eddie needed he he already took out. You know, from there. Yeah. So no, it's it's just interesting the way that it's all. You know, the 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 little uh, crossing the crossing the t's and dotting the i's. 
you yes. know, along the way of making sure that, okay, this is all completely covered here at this point. And then uh, we see Hans nod over to Theo. Theo then uh, starts walking towards the elevator and Hans once again looks out into the distance, you know, <laughs> once again, just trying to figure out, you know, making sure that nobody is coming around, nobody's going to be bothering them. And then we see Hans turn after a few seconds and then he walks towards the elevator behind Theo. And at this point we see, we hear that the music starts changing. It's, it goes to a different type of beat, you know, and then at this point we get to see uh, another one of the, the bad guys. This one's named Tony. And yeah. we'll, we'll later on find out who Tony really is. You know? mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's Anto- Tony played by Andreas Vishnevsky. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Right. Yes, uh, I am. I'm also a, uh, a huge James Bond fan. And uh, prior to this, he played Necros in The Living Daylights. Yeah, he's also he was also in uh, a few of the Mission Impossible movies. Yes. You know, he has yes. 20, 21 TV credits and 18 movie credits. So, you know, he doesn't mm-hmm. have that many movie credits. And most of them are going to be really, really small roles. You know, he mm-hmm. wasn't really a... Uh, you know, he's he's not an actor that you're going to find, you know, in, in too many movies. Or yeah, well, I think most most of his stuff is out of Germany. Um, Could be. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And what what what's interesting here is uh, the part that he played in Living Daylights. He was, you know, the very felt, you know, they showing off that lean Scandinavian body, that that lean Scandin uh, German body. Um, and uh, very much like Robert Shaw's character in From Russia with Love, where mm-hmm. he, he got to right. be the the bad guy who used uh, headphone wires, a garrote, and threw exploding milk bombs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this is a very different turn from him, where he has the glasses and he seems very buttoned up and nerdy. Right. That's very true. Mm-hmm. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, I like the fact that he's also a dancer. So you know, he he and and uh, Carl, played by. Uh, you know, Alexander Gudinov, they're both dancers and they, they, they cast them both as, as brothers. You have the, the dancing brothers. Mm-hmm. The, the... I'd love, I'd love to see that ballet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm really that interested. I'd rather see them here in Die Hard. You know, I, I don't think so. So we, we, we see him, he, he exits the door and then he, he turns and then points to the left and then, you know, goes to the left and then the right and the left. I mean, it's it's great because, you know, he has it memorized where he needs to go. You know, he's been given an assignment that, okay, you got to go to a particular place. And the way to get there is you leave, you go to the right, you go to the left, you go to the right, you know, things like that. And he's mm-hmm. he's like counting it off as he's as he's doing it. Yeah, you can al- it almost looks as if you could tell he's never been here before. And he's only looked at these directions on a map, which is why he's sort of, yeah. you know, going okay here, 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 here. Okay, yeah. all right, now I'm now I'm where I need to be. Yeah, and and they, mm-hmm. we get a, an amazing tracking shot, you know, because it follows him, as you know, he he's like coming towards the camera, and the camera's moving backwards the entire time with him as he's as he's going, you know, left and right, then left, and mm-hmm. you know. At that point, we, we, we see that, you know, it, it completely just follows him through on the corridor. And then, you know, as he's making his final left, you can see on the side of the wall, you know, he walks it, he moves into like this small little uh, brick corridor, which in a few seconds we'll find out is actually a stairwell. And there's a sign on the side that says B2, stair three, no roof access. 
Okay, which is funny mm. because he's going down. My assumption is he's in the ba- basement. You yeah. know, he's he's not in. You know, they, they they haven't brought. You know, he's not in the top floor or anything like that. So like, you know, I I wonder where the the other end of the stairs are that go up. Because if if the stairs are going down at this point, and the sign says no roof access. So you'd think that there would be stairs that are going up somewhere behind him, maybe, but then the sign shouldn't or, be there. Well, I, I think that to me it's just you know there are multiple different stairwells in the building. Yeah, for sure. But only some of them, some of them go up to the roof. Yeah, but so, he's, he's so th- going down. Ah, you're saying if someone walks up and then sees that, okay, that could be also. I, I wasn't yeah, thinking yeah, from that so, perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's telling people who are going up that you're not going to get to the roof from here. Right. Okay. You got to go to the other side of the building and take the other staircase. Right. This is B two. Maybe you yeah. need to take B one. Who knows? Yeah. And yeah. and you might bump into John yeah. McClane along the way later this week. Yeah. yeah, I think the floor is basement level two. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that that that's what it is. The floor is basement level two. Right. Um, ah, okay. You know, but all right, that makes sense. Also. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I didn't think about that one. I was thinking that it was stairwell. Ah, because it's stairwell number three. So it's, it's yes. Okay. You're right. It's basement level two. That actually makes a lot of sense. Now, did you yeah. did you look at that the, the the way the sign is on the wall? It looks like it's it's taped with duct tape. You know, it's not like <laughs> affixed or anything like that. It's something that that you know is is looks very temporary. Well, it, it, this depend. Do you know? Uh, was this shot? Uh, I'm guessing this was shot at the at the Fox Plaza. I doubt it. Um, I doubt it. This looks like or, or you, this looks like something. You, I, I I I didn't check. I don't I don't really usually go into where things are. You know, I, I don't do the research okay. as to which shots are on a stage and which shots are real. But it, this, yeah, this does not look like a real shot. It looks like something they did on a stage, on a sound stage. Okay, that's what I would okay, think. Okay, because okay, because I was I was gonna say I know I know. Um, the Fox, the building, the Nakatomi Plaza is actually the Fox yeah. Plaza, yeah, which yeah, is sure. on the Fox lot. And uh, the building was just brand new at the time. Mm-hmm. There was only one floor that where the offices were being used. So it may have been that, you know, the building was still kind of under construction and they were just putting the signs there as placeholders until they put the permanent signs. Right. Yeah, of course, it's possible. Um, but it's just it's yeah. funny that you can see that it's yeah. duct tape. Yeah. Yes. Who <laughs> knows? <So, enough. laughs> What what do you, what do you know about duct tape? Uh, <laughs> uh, as an you weren't Eagle expecting Scout, that one, were you, Eddie? I know. As an Eagle <laughs> Scout, I know it has very uh, very many uses. Uh, I have buddies who used to make wallets out of duct tape. Um, I actually and, saw a picture online today of a wallet that was made out of duct tape. That's really cool that, that you oh, brought yeah, that up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, oddly enough, the, the one thing that it is not very effective at is taping ducts. <laughs> Have you tried? <laughs> I, I hope no, not as a no. Boy Scout. <laughs> I hope you didn't no. get a badge in taping ducts, in, in the attempting <laughs> to tape ducts. No, but you, usually like air ducts, if there's a lot of heat and pressure, the adhesive um, uh, tends to melt away. Um Right. It's okay. great at it's great at taping almost everything else. Right. Um well first of all it's 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 not called duct tape, it's called duct D U C T. Yes. That it, yes. some a lot of people do call it duct tape for that very reason. But the yes. The reason for that is it's actually made out of what do you think it's made out of? 
It's made out of non-adhesive cotton duck cloth. So there is a duck related to it. <laughs> if it walks like a duck, <laughs> if it if it sticks like a yeah. duck, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, people have been have been using it since uh, you know it's it's listed in the Oxford Dictionary in 1899. So it means that okay. even beforehand, people were using it. But as you said, it's used. It has so many different uses. I mean, I I found yeah. a list of all the different types of uses that it can that it it has been used for. We're not going to go into it because it's a little too much. But the thing mm-hmm. I love is the fact that it was used on uh, NASA used used it on every mission. Yeah, you know, the, apparently, apparently they they once uh, interviewed uh, Charles D. Walker, who was a on one of the he was on, he was on a space space shuttle mission, and he said that they take duct tape duct tape on every single mission because it's something that works really well even in the vacuum of space. Mm-hmm. Okay, they, okay, and it, it's apparently ever since Gem, the Gemini program in the early '60s. Every single flight, they always made sure to have duct tape there. And I mean, anyone who's seen Apollo 13 knows that that was actually used in order to help them with the uh, filtration uh, system when they were trying to get the you know the carbon dioxide out. So they needed yes. to take duct tape that they that they had. You know, it wasn't something yeah, that they just made up. It was something that really really was done. So it's. Yeah, when they put the guys in the room and said, "This is what we have on the ship," there was a roll of duct that's tape right. there. That's right. And apparently, mm-hmm. the 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 guy who designed the the modification, his name was uh, Ed Smiley. He said later that he knew the problem was completely solvable when it was confirmed to him that there was duct tape on the spacecraft. He says, "I felt like we were home free." One thing a Southern boy will never say is, "I don't think duct duct tape will fix it." <laughs> no. <laughs> No, and and duct tape was also used on the the Apollo seventeen mission when they uh, damaged the uh, the 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 fender on the lunar rover. So they were able to use duct tape to fix it. So it's uh, it's, it's interesting that you know that I mean of two of the missions that that were that were going to the moon, they needed to use the duct tape that they just happened to have stowed aboard on board. So I found it to be really cool. Cool. Yeah. What were you going to say before about duct tape? Do we going to No, I I said I said it is it is it is the the magical tape that will fix everything and you think it's the best tape in the world until you get on a film set and find gaffer's tape. No. And you realize that. <laughs> I've never been on a film set so I couldn't tell you, but uh, I will take your word for it on that one. Yes. Ga- gaffer's tape is actually the the tape is a a a, a thick type of cloth. Um, that is even stronger than duct tape. Oh wow! Uh, that that they that they use uh, for lighting rigs. So you you think uh, that, that NASA would have adopted that? <laughs> <laughs> Especially for all these people uh, who think they faked the uh, moon landing, so they needed all the the video equipment and the lighting equipment. Well, you also got to remember that the the U.S. government does everything to the lowest bidder, and gaffer's tape is much more expensive than duct tape. I'm sure they can find someone who can sell it. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? <laughs> and then Tony begin, uh, continues his journey, and he he slides down the stairs. It's very cool. I've always loved the way that he does this. He does it very efficiently. Mm-hmm. You know, he just uh, yes. you know puts his arms on on the railings and slides all the way down. Now, I mm-hmm. I didn't count the number of stairs, but what I did notice was it's very interesting that this is like a, a metal uh, staircase. You know, it doesn't, it, it looks like it's, 
you know, it looks like they're in a submarine or something like that, you know, not something that you would find in an office building, even in the basement. Mm. But it, but it works for the shot because the shot is great how he slides down it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I could tell you, you know, be, you know, being in several office buildings in, in, in New York um, or in America, you know, that it's very utilitarian that, that kind of stone faced walls, um, you know, no, you know, there's not even paint on there. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And yeah. And it, yeah, you're right. It here is, it is a metal staircase that he's going down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the shot changes and, uh, we, we see Tony walking down the corridor and, mm-hmm. you know, he seems to, to, uh, as he's walking, he, you see him motion and it looks like he's, he's taking something out of his bag, which is, which is great. The way that it's a very fluid shot. And then, then he passes a group of, of six like tubes that are on his left hand side, and then he finds a way to skillfully glide over the railing onto the other side. You know, like he just mm-hmm. again, we, we mentioned you mentioned earlier that that he must know all this stuff just by looking at the schematics of of the area, and he already knows where he needs to like. Uh, I mean, again, we mentioned he's a dancer, so I guess he's uh, he's good at, at at doing these acrobatic moves to get over the yes you know, get over the railing over there and stuff like that. But he, he does it very gracefully and, and nicely. So, mm-hmm. and then, you know, the next shot, we see that he has this, uh, what looks like an electric uh, pizza cutter in his hand, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a, a mini saw blade. Yeah, exactly. But, but mm-hmm. I just found it, found it really funny because it looks like a pizza cutter. You know, he's getting ready. <laughs> he's, he's down in the basement and he's like, all right, we want, we want pizza. Who, who wants, who wants me to cut their pizza as quickly as possible? <laughs> You know, which which once again shows how organized they are. You know, they they have everything detailed to the to the you know to to the minute. Uh, yes. No pun intended, like what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but still, you know, they they know everything that they need, and you know, he just does it great. He, he, as he's walking, he already takes out the you know the the electric uh, pizza cutter. I'm gonna keep calling it a pizza cutter, even though I know it's not. But mm-hmm. you know, he, he skillfully just just. Uh, you know, takes out and, you know, it's obviously, uh, you know, mobile at this point, you know, it, it's cordless. He didn't need one with a cord. And then we, we see that he proceeds to uh, open two of the cabinets that are marked on them. Pacific bell employees only. Ah, uh, the days of the bells. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you have all research on the, uh, the bell corporations that, that I do, I do, but I'm not going to go into all of it. I'm just going to briefly yeah. say that, uh, so Pacific bell was, uh, there were a group of, of different phone companies in the California area that, that merged in 1910. And at that point it was, uh, it was, uh, called the, it was, it was with AT&T and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I did read the whole history of it and it's interesting, but you know, it, it's too much of a, uh, it's too much of a dive yeah. that we don't really need to get into it. But I mean, they, <laughs> they've changed the name of the company over the years, but between 1910 and 1984, it was known as the Pacific Telephone and Telegraph Company. And then in 1984, it actually was called Pacific Bell from, from 1984 yes. to 2002. And then, it, yeah. And that was, 
Yeah, and that was part of a, a, a nationwide monopoly that was broken yes. up. Correct. I could tell you, New York. I, you know, the phone. The and it was just the phone company. Yeah. It was just one phone company. That and and in New York, it was Bell Atlantic. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I, um, I lived. Yeah. In, I grew up in. Yeah. I grew up in Detroit. You know, Michigan Bell. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, yeah. that, that's the way it was uh, up until mm-hmm. up until the nineties when, or actually, I think it was, I think it was only in two thousand two where they really uh, broke them up. Yes. But uh, you know, they 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 did a nice job of it. <laughs> they, Bell had had a great monopoly and it really worked, you know, for 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 quite a long time. I mean, when when they broke when they broke up AT and T in 1984, so AT and T held 89.8 percent of Pacific uh, Telephone. Yeah, you know, so they, they still owned a lot of it. So yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. I mean, Pacific Bell will, will come up, uh, you know, in in a future season when when I hopefully get the Die Hard too, because uh, you know, even though John's in Washington, we get to see a phone that says Pacific Bell on it. But we'll we'll get there. We'll a teaser for a future season. You know, keep listening to it so you'll be able to to, there you go. to get there when we do that. And okay. uh, you know, as as he after he opens up those cuts open those cabinets, he pulls out like a little valise. A metal, a metal uh, case, you know, from from his little bag, and he starts yeah. to sort through the various wires that have that have spilled out after taking after opening up the, those cabinets, and uh, that's pretty much how this minute ends. We'll we'll have to see tomorrow what he actually does with all of these various, you know, uh, uh, cords that that are coming around here. Did you have anything Ooh. else you want to say about this particular minute before we move on to the no. script? No, I think I think that covers it. Right. All right. So mm-hmm. the the script again. This is you know to remind everyone this isn't playing shit automobiles. We don't have an extra you know two hours and twelve minutes that are cut out of this the the final script. But here we still have discrepancies. And the thing I love the most about the script is the way that they describe things. So this minute we actually mostly have descriptions, uh, a few few little minor discrepancies. So after uh, it says Hans goes to the front door, waves the card over the magnetic plate in uh, in LED blinks, and the door locks with a thud. Hans looks out into the street. Appropriately enough, not a creature is stirring. Century City is quiet. And then it says quick cuts within the lobby. An elevator opens, revealing ten more men, all armed with Kalachnikov machine guns, are carrying canvas kit bags. One of them, Eddie, a rugged American in his 20s, goes to the dead guard and immediately begins changing into his clothes. So I'm glad in the movie they decided just to have him change into the jacket. It doesn't need to take all the, the dead guy's clothes, you know. <laughs> and then it says, meanwhile, Carl takes a tool case from the elevator and joins his brother Tony. First playfully grabbing him, they head for the basement stairwell. And then it says, Theo leaves the control room and nods to Hans. Eddie finishes adjusting buttons and snaps on his pilfered uniform, takes his position behind the front desk. So, again, the the one difference here, and we'll get to it later in the week, is that Carl is already with Tony at the beginning here. That That's the big difference that I would gotcha. find between these. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, every Monday, we have a uh, segment called Die Hard on a Monday, where my guests will actually tell us their top five Die Hard doppelganger movies. So we'll start with number five and work our way up. So what, what, have, what have you got for us, Ellie? Eddie? Okay. Well, real quick, I just wanted to to do, to say a quick honorable mention because it's not a movie. Uh, it's a novel called Slayground 
by Donald Westlake. Uh, he under uh, the pen name Richard Stark. It's one of the Parker novels. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Parker. No. Oh wait. Oh, I am. Um, I am. I am. That was that was uh, yeah. what's his name? Did a did a Parker movie. Um, David. Uh, not David. Uh, Jason Statham. Jason Statham. Did, Jason. Yes. Statham. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but the, yeah, the I wasn't a fan of that movie. Around... <laughs> but I'm I'm sure the book is no, much no, no. But the the character's been around since the early '60s. Actually, the movie Payback with Mel Gibson um, uh, is probably I, I I would say the best adaptation of the character. But he's he's a thief. He's a genius thief. Um, uh, 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 very much like uh, I I would say he's it's like Jack Reacher if he was a thief instead of a detective. Uh-huh. Okay. Um. Uh. But uh the the book Slayground that was published in 1971. Uh, has uh, after a uh, a ro- after he escapes a robbery, he hides out um, in a um, uh, in uh, in a in an amusement park, uh, and gangsters are surrounding the park, and it's kind of the cat and mouse game of him trying to get out of the amusement park uh, without getting killed by the mobster. Interesting. Um, okay. Sounds, yes, sounds very yes, interesting. You, Yes, it was adapted into a movie in the early '80s with Peter Coyote, um, but they uh, changed changed around the story a lot, and the amusement park angle is only like the last ten minutes of that movie. Um, but the novel is a lot of fun and has, uh, and even though it predates Die Hard, it has a lot of that same kind of uh, intensity and suspense to it. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, yes, uh, for movies, uh, for I'm going to have a, a tie for fourth place, so four and five. Uh, I, I'm trying to do some stuff that, you know, uh, you uh, I'm sure a, a lot of the same movies are probably going to be coming up in this segment. So I'm trying to do some stuff. I'm sure Speed and Under Siege are going to be mentioned a lot. Uh, so I'm going to say Speed 2 Cruise Control and Under Siege 2 Dark Territory um, uh, because they're not great movies. But I think they could have changed their franchises if they'd switched franchises. I okay. think if there you'd done speed, if you'd done speed two on a train and under siege two on a cruise ship, I think that those fr- that those could have been great movies and those franchises could have gone on to third and fourth installments. Okay, I I, um, I I can I can hear that. I think that if under siege would have been on a cruise ship, it wouldn't have been as good because you know it's the idea of taking the same character and just putting him on another boat each time. You know, you, mm-hmm. you need to mix things up a little bit. I mean, with speed, you know, you have the first one on the bus. Obviously, it's more than just the bus, but it, the main aspect of it is the bus. But to then put them on a train afterwards, maybe, well, maybe. I, yeah, it, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Well, the, also the other thing is, is uh, when you think of speed, you don't really think ocean liners. Correct. Uh, I think, I think a runaway train could actually, you know, have more of a speed angle to right. it. Um, uh, for number three, I'm going to say the equalizer with Denzel Washington, uh, uh, with, which, uh, uh, the third act of that is really just turns into die hard in, uh, in a hardware store. Um, okay. Uh, and, uh, uh, see, it's very different because John McClane is the type of hero uh, where I think a lot of times you see his situations, you go, oh, I don't know, man. Um, and a lot of these other movies, whereas a lot of other action heroes, it's more like you, you see them get into a scenario and go, oh, they don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what's coming. <laughs> yeah, but John McClane always and, knows what's coming. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. So e- Equalizer is my number three. Number two, uh, I'm going to say Dread, uh, which is the 2012 movie starring Carl Urban. Yeah. Uh, the adaptation of the the uh, the, the uh, British comic character Judge Dread. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's uh, Die Hard in a uh, uh, in a housing project yeah. <laughs> uh, with uh, <laughs> uh, with homicidal drug dealers yeah, with, um, without Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> yes, yes, and Rob Schneider. <laughs> yeah, yes, um, yeah, uh, but uh, but just really, really, you know, great, intense close quarters, close quarters action. Yeah. Um, and my number one uh, is uh, going to be Get Off My Plane, uh, Air Force One, uh, starring Harrison Ford from 1997, which is uh, Die Hard on Air Force One. Yes, that is. Very good. Excellent. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you for that. So, uh, Eddie, you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you? Uh, yeah. So uh, I'm on Twitter at Lil Eddie O'Hare. Um, and uh, uh, I do have uh, – I'm not. I'm. I do have a, a podcast uh, that I'm hoping to get off the ground uh, by the end of the year. I don't want to. I don't want to tease too much about it. But yeah, well, um, if they follow you, they'll uh, eventually figure it out. So that's good. That's- yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not on. I, I don't. I haven't been posting on Twitter a lot in the last uh, couple of years, just because uh, I, I find staying away from social media has been good for my sanity. Um, but I will. I am hoping to be uh, back on there soon. All right. Uh, Cool. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. Or you can go to my website, which is MovieRobMinute.com. So until tomorrow, yippee ki yay Yippee-ki-yay! Yippee-ki-yay.